0: Well, hi, and uh, welcome to I believe this is our now our tenth uh, webinar in uh, our um, smart building series, and this is about um, the transformation of building automation systems to the Internet of Things, and as it says there, the future of uh, smart buildings. Uh, so, um, um, just a bit of housekeeping to start. Um, very happy to take uh, questions, both myself and, and, and Terry. Uh, If you want to do that, then please type them in and I will try and answer as many or we will try and answer as many as possible. Uh, Not always possible to to get them all in, but we will do our best. Um, And uh, in terms of, uh, you know, audio, we are recording this and I will publish uh, that on our on our website either uh, later today or tomorrow. And then I'm actually thinking about sending an email out with a link to that as well. So um, you should all receive that. And and please feel free, obviously, to share it with any colleagues. Um, Also, um, Terry has put together a white paper, which we published a couple of days ago on our site. And that's going to form a lot about what we're going to discuss today. Um, So feel free, go online um, and take a look at that as well. Uh, And, yeah, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, Terry Casey. Hi, Terry.
1: Greetings, fine.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, obviously, thanks for uh, taking the time to do this. And I just think probably be really good to just to start by um, perhaps could you explain a bit about some of the things that you've done previously, for example, trend and how that started uh, so we can maybe get a context of, you know, uh, where we are at the moment with, with building automation.
1: Um, yeah okay I mean I, I don't usually sort of want to sit and um, blow my own trumpet about things but well, to, to give some context and experience on these. <laughs> um, a long time ago back in 1980 um, two of us started a company that's um, now known as trend um, and the company has been I think um, sus- has sustained sustained uh, success um, in the market, particularly the UK market, where it commands something above 40% of the market for building automation. Um, And um, and the point with Trend was that we introduced, arguably for the first time, um, fully programmable, distributed, peer-to-peer. Um DDC systems. Um, prior to that, people were doing supervisory things. And we also pioneered the idea of using um, PCs and windows and things for, for graphical presentation. Um, we also pioneered quite a lot in terms of markets go to market strategies. Um, we were the first company here um, and maybe in Europe who really wanted to um, take uh, system integrators seriously and, and yeah. ar- arguably um, had a big
0: influence in forming what's the system integrator market right and that um, was a UK key still has... it was a key um, part of the success right then um, being able to grow that channel yeah.
1: um, yes and, and UK still enjoys one of the, the largest uh, market shares by system integrators in in the developed world um, so I think that you know, what we, we put there has stayed in place and it's shown to be a very effective way of delivering these things to customers, uh, as well as the, the underlying technology company, to try and be able to concentrate on what it does best as well. Um, and since then, uh, and moved on and, and things keep going. I, I spent um, 10 years as, um, as leading a tridium in, in Europe, Middle East, Africa, um, which was an interesting journey as well. I think, in some ways, um, Tridium is, is one of the other innovators in this marketplace. Um, I mean, the, the Niagara Technology has got a massive market share, particularly in North America, mm-hmm. for what it does. And I think it brought the idea of um, control frameworks and integration platforms um, into the uh, into that building space. And that, arguably, with um, the, the distributed systems, and then open communication standards, I think, have been the sort of three um, major stages that we've seen in
0: building automation um, so far. Yeah, yeah. So I think hopefully that uh, puts in context, you know, where we are. And I think if you you slightly alluded to it there, this kind of <clears throat> uh, new arena that we're now moving into, uh, would you say call it like the fourth iteration perhaps of um of building automation?
1: All yeah, I, I think one of the um, ambitions we always had for um, what we now call building automation systems was that they would not only be able to let people control their buildings um, properly and, and efficiently, but also that they would provide good information so that people could manage their buildings and work out what wasn't going very well. Mm-hmm. That, that second part of things hasn't worked out very well. Um, we still have people who look at the pretty pictures, but you know, nothing comes to them in terms of telling them what's um, going wrong in the system, unless it's fairly catastrophic. You know, if the plant stopped and it can't maintain the temperatures, but it doesn't tell you very much about how well you're doing in terms of performance. And even people with these building automation systems still rely on people getting in trucks, vans, whatever they are, cars, and going to site and, and trying to understand what's going on rather than using the information that comes to them. because, frankly, that information is not very easy to understand even if you've got quite high levels of expertise. And I think you know, this is sort of heading towards the, this next, what I would regard as the fourth um, movement in, in world automations in the time I've been involved, um, which is seeing us trying to understand better uh, and automatically what's going on in the building and what's not
0: going on in the building, so that we can actually affect some fixes. Right. So, looking at the um, white paper that that we published online, or that you you know that you you authored, um, I obviously read through it and read the introduction. I think the the takeaway for me from the introduction was, um, what I think what you were saying was that we have perhaps concentrated too much at the moment when looking at the Internet of Things. About talking about some of the the technical aspects right big data systems the cloud and not enough really concentrating on um, how we are going to create value from this
1: I think that's right Um, now nothing against um, the sort of approaches people are taking Uh, you know Microsoft with Azure and Amazon with their platforms they're bringing good stuff to to us and we can use it Um, the um, cellular phone providers are providing us good um, data plans that we can transmit data with. But those in themselves are just bits of architecture, you know, the bits of fabric. They don't actually by themselves deliver us anything. And I think what we've got to do is think hard about what it is that we would like to do uh, with our build and our energy and our interaction between those two things in order that we can get some benefit uh, out of those things. And that takes us into what are you going to do specifically? Uh, What applications are you going to run and and what are they going to do um, for the building? And and also by implication, um, are they going to affect the business of the people who are providing the services or, or those using the buildings? Um, and in my view, the answer to both of those is yes, you know, there's going to be some significant change in the way buildings are operated and maintained and the, the, the skills and, and nature of the business is providing that. So I think that you know, the, the big noise about oh, cellular connectivity and big data and, and um, cloud and all that stuff. Um, is true, and it's kind of got this premise that all we need to do is connect to these things which are intelligent enough to talk to us, connect them up to the cloud and somehow magically it's all going to work. And I think that premise is one of the reasons why the Internet of Things, in some way, has not taken off as far and as fast in multiple sectors as people have forecast. It is taking off and, and it's growing you know, at a fabulous rate. But in pockets, you know, the telematics stuff has grown enormously—vehicle tracking and and uh, and the like, and, and movable assets going on very well. But we haven't really got terribly far in, in the building space um, or in the related energy space, in, in my view. And I think that's partly because we need to focus on what we need to deliver and. Also, um, we need to work out the skills we need and and the competences we need in order to make that delivery.
0: Yeah, right, because we're, in a sense, um, kind of bridging this gap between we have to understand the engineering of these complex systems such as HVAC, but also now this, this whole new piece of IT that we have to have a very good understanding of.
1: Yeah, and and absolutely, um, and the, so the range of of competencies and uh, technical skills that you need to, to put this together is growing, or has grown. You know, you need IT skills, you need communication skills, you need some skills about if you're going to run analytics, and we'll talk a bit about those in more detail in a minute. Um, then you you know you need to actually know how to form the analytics and what it is that you're trying to detect or analyze in the data you've got. Um, you know, when when people talk to me about analytics, some of it I feel is a little bit of um, oh, well we'll play around with the data, and something interesting might come out of it. Well, that probably isn't the most sort of productive way of going about things, which is the sort of travel, hopefully. Mm. Um, and it's all about looking for things which are specific. Uh, we know what goes wrong in buildings um, to the large extent. That's why we have experience in these things. We've now got to automate the ways that we can detect those things and solve them uh, and ways that we can uh, optimise our buildings in order that they will run as well as they should um, and also that we can do that operation um, uh, to provide better quality of service to our customers but also to do it with less effort um, so, what, I mean, the whole premise of the Internet of Things, which is that we can uh, do better with less cost, um, is a rather lovely um, double whammy, which is, uh, to a very, very large extent, true. You know, so we get better understanding, better knowledge, so that we can make the things run better, so people save money on the energy and and related. But we can do that with with less effort, less work, less people, less truck rolls. Um, so you know, the cost of the service um, drops and the quality of the service goes up, which is a it's a nice thing to happen, uh, I think, across the board. Mm-hmm. But that's only possible because you know, basically what we do at the moment is inadequate or or, or a bit substandard in, in general cases. We know that buildings don't work as well as they should. Um, you know, government studies in UK, in North America, and across most of Europe that I've seen have come up consistently saying... Buildings waste well. Obviously, you know, the numbers vary, but um, between sort of 15 and 25 percent is the sort of standard deviation. With 20 being the sort of sweet spot. And what's frightening to me is that when I started in this industry in 1980, those were the exact same numbers we had then. Um, buildings were quoted as being not run very well, and, and we can save this sort of amount of energy by getting them going right. We've improved the controls, but we haven't improved very much um, the other plant problems, which go amiss, or the, you know, the fact they were never set up and commissioned properly in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the other thing is, whereas most things in use, you know, we get better, we kind of a you know, process will get better. In buildings, the history is that they actually deteriorate with time, rather than the opposite. So we really do need some stuff there that gets a bit smarter. Um, about working out those problems, uh, well, fairly automatically, um, so that we can um, you know, deploy the right levels of skills.
0: So it is about you know, automation as well. Yeah, uh, just to interject there, just so the people that <clears throat> that came late um, feel free to to type in questions for us at any point. Um, I will try and, and get them answered um, uh, when when we're able to do that. Um, but Terry, going back to you know the, this this white paper, I mean, and you postulate in there some you know concrete examples of where you think the internet of things is going to be um useful right for for buildings and i i, I sort of wanted to go through some of those now if, if that's okay with you so i think the first one you talk about is this concept of energy monitoring and uh, and reducing energy consumption so how how do you see the building end of things how, helping well, with, with those issues,
1: I think um, that if you're going to do anything which, um, where reducing energy consumption or improving energy e- um, efficiency um, is one of your key things, you've got to measure it. Um, you know, the oft-quoted and absolutely true is, you know, if you don't measure it, you can't control it, um, is is the case. But And in this country, in Britain and in in a lot of continental Europe, we've been doing a lot about energy monitoring for a long time. Uh, In North America, considerably less has been done, but it's still vital. Um, But we get carried away sometimes, and we think that monitoring the energy profile of the building is the be-all and the end-all, and that's going to find all the problems and and all the rest of it. And it doesn't. Essentially, the energy monitoring system is a very good accounting system. It lets us keep score. It lets us work out how much energy we have. Won or lost by our processes, hopefully won. You know, hopefully, we've, we've gained efficiency and reduced costs by doing things like um, regression analysis and, and normalization to degree days or, or, or whatever the criteria is. If you've got a process, then it's probably process output rather than that. But most buildings which are used for um, occupa- human occupation work best on, on the um, weather and degree day analysis. And it's very useful, and I'm not dismissing it, but um, it's useful to keep score. Um, if you've got high frequency data, that is you know, every half hour or 15 minutes, whatever, then you can also use it to see pretty much if the consumption overnight or weekends is, is high when it shouldn't be. But after that, you're struggling. You know, you're struggling to say, uh, is my building efficient or not? Um, and has it got better or not? Or, or you know, if there are problems, can you tell me what they are and what I should be doing about it? So it doesn't answer any of those questions. Uh, so very good accounting system, and you know, all, all entities and things and businesses, we need an accounting system to keep score. But it doesn't do that much in terms of telling us what to do to fix our buildings. And you can see that because in the you know, UK we've had good energy monitoring systems around for many years and yet on average our building stock is not
0: that much more energy efficient. So that's the starting point. Yeah okay we have a uh, question here. With uh, monitoring energy and use of metered data effectively we need to design ECMs to reduce the energy consumption. How is the market for implementing ECMs and monitoring using uh, calibrated building energy mo- uh, models and are building managers willing to go down the simulation road? That's a, a, a
1: very good um, an opposite um, and apposite question and it's one of those that's touched a, a bit of a raw nerve in some of my experience. The, the, the thing that we tend to reach for and every academic group that's ever come to me and made a proposal for um, you know, doing some work and some funding and, and, and whatever, has always come up with the, and we'll do some modeling. We'll model the building and we'll predict what should be going on. Now, I've done some modeling stuff at a pretty sophisticated level early in my career, um, using um, 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 computer-based finite element time models and and fully dynamic ones. In in recent years, I've been involved with work in America with the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratories in, in California, who do a lot of work for the American Department of Energy. Also involved um, with some of their modelling group, but amongst many other things. There, mm-hmm. and the the problem with modelling is that the amount of effort you've got to put in to produce a model which is usable in in terms of predicting you know, what's going, what's happening, and measuring what's going wrong, is immense. Uh, you know, you're talking about people years, and I don't mean, uh, and I mean high grade people, you know, uh, people with uh, doctorates and the like, to actually tune your model to your actual building. Uh, if you're going to get performance which is close enough to be able to, to let you do any of that sort of modeling, so my experience is that it, the effort outweighs the benefit on those things. I'm not saying they're not it's not possible or it's not feasible, but the effort to actually build a model which is which is close enough to reality is extremely difficult and requires you know, huge mathematical models. I, I found better success in doing the simple things. Um, it may be I'm just a bit simple, but <laughs> maybe not. The, the, <laughs> and, but yeah, do the simple things first. And what, what we've come up with, uh, what well, I came up with, was uh, I call it um, elemental analysis. And, and by that, I meant let's look at the things which the practitioners tell us go wrong in the buildings most frequently. And we came up with a, a stuff, and I, this isn't my original work, we, we, we picked up on um, um, various research projects that governments had funded to find out what it was that commonly went wrong in the buildings which caused them to use more energy uh, than they, they could be and should be. And, and it came down to the usual Pareto's law, you know, the 80-20 relationship. Right. And, and if we could find I don't know, it was only about a dozen different things. If we could detect those situations, we were going to capture um, the majority of, of the um, problems that people were talking about. And they turned out to be quite simple things. Um, things like um, the valves were sticking, yeah, or the actuator linkages were, were not working on them, or the seats had broken so that the valves were letting by. Um, frighteningly, in North America, where they use a lot of of what's called rooftop units or package plant. A study showed that over 50 percent, I mean only just over 50 percent, but 50 percent of all the rooftops in North America had failed uh, fresh air damper systems um, and American school them economizers. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of absolutely Frightening levels because those are fundamentally the only reason you put those on is to get better energy efficiency. Mm. Um, So, there's the top two. The next one is plant running where it's not supposed to. I think number three, the sensors misreading, Uh, not necessarily failed, but just giving bad readings. One after that was control loops which were not tuned, so they were unstable, uh, was the, the biggest problem. And um, and also sequencing was not working and, and things like that. And it turned out that if you if you fix those problems, um, you 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 got to around eighty percent of the things which people actually saw. And that's a, you don't need models. You don't need sophisticated um, um, models to come up with the um, the things like that which are going wrong. And they're also pretty much reusable. You know they don't need much learning and tuning. I I was involved in one project, um, which was with a a university that happened to be around Dublin, where somebody developed a very nice um, um, neural network inference engine system to um, to look about um, um, when to start the plant in the morning, which we call optimum start. Um, and he said, well, it worked terribly well, but I need a very large computer and it's going to take the computer about a year to actually learn the characteristics of the building because I've got to go through all the different seasons um, and uh, all and the rest of We came to the conclusion that it had little to no benefit over... Um, you know the BREAM type models, which are BRe models we've got in Britain and others use, which are, use only you know, simple and single order or second order lag set type systems. So I think the, the point here is, is trying to trying to get something which works um, well, which is simple enough to deploy and redeploy in mass is kind of where I've been trying to focus this, yeah.
0: as, um, as opposed I, to um, creating a very complex model for 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 looking at buildings.
1: Yes. Now, if, if I'm a guy who's making a piece of equipment, a plant, a chiller or air or handler or something, it may well be worthwhile for me to model that piece of plant because I'm, I'm making them by the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands. Um, I can do that. But in terms of looking at the whole building, um, I found far, far better success in looking for these what is relatively simple things and, and things that we can use uh, analytics and rules uh, rule based analytics
0: to, to do rather than model reference ones or, or neural networking ones and that kind and of brings that brings us kind of neatly on to talking about fault detection right and how <laughs> so, the BIOT is going to help with that so so you know you gave some examples there of uh, you know control loops and and this is all in the white paper for those who want it you can go online sense is not reading correctly. Um, control rooms uh, control loops not turned um, or not tuned resulting in poor control how <clears throat> you know would take sense for example i mean if they're not reading correctly i mean how how are we going to now look at solving some of these problems
1: well the, the, the good news on these um, rule-based things is that you can run the rules on the the data which you can get from the building uh, automation system, the BAS. Um, And you can detect um, these situations with reasonably high degrees of certainty, in my experience. I I was getting um, a program I was running on this um, in a a role I was in before. Um, We we were getting into sort of the 80% positive, positive detection. That is, we we found what we thought was an event, and it, it turned out to be the case. Um, so you can get these to work reasonably well uh, without going into uh, into a lot of, um, uh, of strangenesses. Uh, sorry strangeness, uh, complexities, I'm sorry, I used completely the wrong word there. Um, and the, the list I came up with there is, I think, um, in one of the studies which was um, by the um, Portman Institute in the US, um, came up with a list rather longer than the one I've got there, but those are the ones which, which stuck. I noticed the ones which were repetitive um, things there. So the, the fact that because, the say, the heating valve is, is um, stuck open for whatever reason, then um, the cooling system is compensating, so simultaneous heating and cooling. But one of the learnings on that was that some people I've seen do rule-based analytics for heating and cooling at the same time. And they're just looking for the control system outputs um, to say, oh, look, it's asking for the heating valve to be open 10% and the cooling valve to be open 20%, and we're not trying to dehumidify or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, they're missing the point that 80% of these simultaneous heating and cooling are because of mechanical problems actually on the valves and the plant, um, and 20% or less are actually attributable to the control logic being messed up. Uh, I don't say that never happens, but um, uh, so we we got to be a little bit careful what it is that we're measuring and and how we measure that. Um, the, um, the the economizers and the mixing dampers is this other very common thing um, which is very easy to miss because um, you know, the, the control system will compensate with the heating and cooling valves as you wish to. And I mean I've seen so many buildings. I'm sure there are many other people on the on the call today have where you walk in and uh, the, the quote commissioning guy has gone and commissioned the fresh air dampers or responded system perceived problems in the building, and he's stuck a brick or a bit of four bit two wood um, in, into the um, into the dampers um, in order to keep them open or whatever. So you know, you're stuck that way, and that that isn't. I've seen that once or twice. I've seen it you know repetitively. All right. Sometimes it's not bricks or bits of wood, but it's something sure. else. Um, and uh, so it's that sort of thing that you've got to try and detect. Not that the control system is asking you to the, to do it wrongly in the first place. Sometimes that happens. Um, sensors as well. You know, you, normally you've got more a bunch of sensors, and you can work out in one situation that if the dampers are fully open, for example, you know, you should be seeing something close to the ambient temperature coming through onto the coil. So you can get a, you can get snapshots, um, and you've got to be careful that you you make these measurements. Um, um, in, in what I call a detection state, that is that the plant is, is letting you make that determination and measurement by the state it's in. Uh, you know, with the heating and cooling valves, you're, you're going to want the thing to be actually thinking that it's not got any heating or cooling at the time and then seeing whether you're getting any heat gain or loss um, across the coils. Um, so you, you've got to measure a condition and then make that, or detect a condition and then make the measurement. So it, it requires a bit of thinking and a bit of skill about how those rules work. But when you do, that they're fully reusable.
0: And these analytics rules that you, I mean, what type of algorithm are we talking about here? Is it something that um, is, is constantly learning or is it something that is based on a statistical model, you know, like a normal distribution of temperature, for example?
1: um it depends what you're measuring um, now most of these are pretty straightforward rules so you know if um if the heating valve and the cooling valve have been shut for the last 10 minutes you know, and hot water and cold water are available and the fan is running then you know if the on cold temperature is um, much different from the off cold temperature you know then you've got a leak um, it, it, it's as simple as that, but you've got to run that control. You've got to run that sequence um, in many times. Now, if you look at something like um, control loop stability, um, what I found is that you can you can see instability reasonably easily. Uh, you can see the, the variable going up and down. Um, you know the valve moving up and down, and you you can detect that. What's harder to detect is if it's the other way. And the control loop is underdamped, that is, it's too sluggish. You know, your proportional is, is, uh, your band is too wide, your gain is too low, your integral is too short, whatever. And when I'm doing that, I, ha- I d- generally used uh, statistical techniques. So I've looked at the standard deviation from a set point. And if that goes wider, then it's a sign that the control is sloppy and that it's not really achieving things. So we, we mix the techniques, some of them are straightforward rules. Uh, with a bit of bit of twist on it, because you've got to put some time functions in and persistence in, and some of them uh, I use statistical processes as well. The statistical ones are also quite good at finding out if the if the plant's wearing. You know, so you've got wear problems on that, but none of these are particularly complex uh, to do. And sorts of you know, machines, uh, the computer machines and tools we've got today let us build those sorts of rules relatively uh, easily.
0: Mm without too much um, learning and you, you also talk about having analytics at the edge so the the building Internet of things needs analytics both at the, the cloud server level but also at the edge in the building can you can you yeah. elaborate more on that what is the yeah. advantage to that
1: with pleasure because this, this is actually I think um, something which um, I, I've observed many people not um, quite getting, and and the results being that their analytics haven't delivered what they hoped and expected. Um, So um, if you're going to do something like um, do the regression analysis for energy consumption and degree days, um, great. You've got one measurement per day, which is your energy consumption, another one which is your degree days. And you store that in probably in your central or cloud-based system. And you compare that over quite a long period of time. And, you know, stuff I do is we quite commonly will look at you know, a year's worth or, or multiple year's worth of data in a data set. Um, and that's good. You you want to look at the long-term trend of that. You want to look at the long-term pattern to get the, the savings process using Q-sums and the like. But you also um, want to keep a storage of it. You want to know it for a long time. Um, and I only need a low-frequency data once a day, so that's really good at putting it at the server level at the cloud. Um, let me contrast that with something else, which is say I'm looking for control loop stability, and if I've got a, um, a valve which is uh, uh, oscillating the control loops and got too much gain or whatever, um, then that valve is going to go open and shut. I don't know, depends on the system, but probably every um, every two or three minutes, say three minutes um and um it, we, we in order to detect a valve going open and closed every three minutes, you know you don't want to be measuring every 15 minutes so you've got to, you've got to measure more quickly than your process um, is is reacting more quickly than the valve's moving and actually, if you can remember your sample data theory from college i think barely do so, but just about, then um, you you find that you've got to measure three times faster than your process. So your three-minute valve oscillation, you really need to be measuring every minute. Um, So if you're bringing the data back every minute um, and it's a lot of valves, that's a lot of data to bring back to transport, to store your cloud stuff and then run run analytics on. You can do it, um, but I found it easier to actually push that type of high-speed analytic down to the edge and keep it in the building in a machine rather than transporting it. Uh, It reduced my data communication load and cost. It reduced my server load and storage and input data and things. So that worked a lot better. Um, And the other thing is I don't need to know what the Valve did yesterday or the week before or the year before that. Uh, I'm making a, a determination as to the state of that control loop now. Um, and after I made that determination, I don't need that data to, um, anymore. Or maybe I'll keep the last day of it so I can show the technician who goes to sign what was happening. So um, we don't have to have much persistence of data. So combination of high frequency and low persistence means probably better keep it at the edge. And then the other one, which is um, uh, low frequency and high persistence, so I mean, keep it for a long time, probably be- better at the cloud. Um, so I think you know, the, the idea of a distributed system is good, but if you try and run plant-based analytics looking for these particular plant problems on traditional building automation system, fifteen-minute, thirty-minute data logging at the, the centre, I'm afraid you're, you're more what well, you are going to be quite disappointed. They're not going to actually find the things that you're
0: looking for. Right. So, so it's really about having this combination, and understanding I think so. the, the architecture, you really yeah. have to be able to understand what is the best. Scenario for and, the type of data you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, I think I think that it, well, I don't think I know that's the case, um, and that therefore having a, a a mixture of distributed and centralized architecture uh, seems to be the way that we can work to get the best out of these things, mm-hmm. and realizing that we're dealing with different sorts of things for different sorts of reasons. But um, edge analytics, in, in my experience, is one that we absolutely need if we're going to find these plant problems. The detection algorithm itself isn't complex, as we briefly discussed. Um, but the uh, getting, making sure that you're measuring quickly enough that you can see what you're looking for um, is is absolutely vital. Mm-hmm. And the same goes with this thing about you know the valves leaking and the rest of it. You've got to be certain that the, the valve stays in the condition you think it is. It is shut. Um, while you're making that determination um, and if again if you do it every 15 minutes you, you won't see it you won't see other things which are coming on and off too quickly and, and uh, doing dry
0: cycling or whatever yep yeah, okay i um just had a also a um a question message about um a link to the white paper if you go onto our website memory.com you'll see it right on the front page and it's uh, it's called the building internet of things how will it affect our buildings and our business uh, and I think we published a couple of days ago uh, then um, you go on to discuss uh, about um, demand management and and sort of more about obviously the the supply side of um, the of the electrical um, demand management um, can, can we now sort of then look at uh, how that works and what the effect of building out of things is on that well,
1: yeah, I mean, um, so the basic premise is that um, our electricity um, supply industry is going through quite significant metamorphosis. Um, the, the company um, in Telestar that I'm, I'm part of has a uh, I think is America's largest independent electricity producer as a, as a uh, on its board, a minority shareholder. So we kind of get some insight into how that industry is moving, uh, particularly in North America, but also across all of the, the developed world. And we're seeing a number of common factors going in. We're seeing um, a movement not to eliminate, but going away from central power plant into distributed um, uh, generation um, in various forms. We're seeing Um, a movement to renewables and uh, particularly wind and solar. Um, If you're in America, it's more solar. If you're here, it's a bit more wind. And you're seeing also um, different types of demand going on to the the grid. Um, One profile I was looking at is um, in in all of our worlds, but particularly in, in California, electric vehicles are becoming far, far more common. And you're suddenly finding that the grid is peaking um, in the evening when people drive home and plug their um, electric vehicles in and the solar farms are no longer producing photovoltaic for you. So quite, a, um, And also that their, their grid infrastructure um, was not designed to cope with pretty high uh, energy demands for shortish periods, I mean an hour or two, from these sorts of electric vehicles. So we're getting both the supply and the demand process shifting in the electric grid and what we we need and buildings use a very significant amount of the energy uh, electric energy produced so if we're going to make any effect on this we're going to have to bring buildings into the smart interactive grid and uh, get them so that they can understand a bit more about um, how what what energy is available um, and and how to utilise it. Now buildings are surprisingly tolerant actually of Shortish term changes. Um, you know, they've got a fair amount of, of mass in their, their thermal structures and also in their services systems. You know, the water is flowing around all the rest of place. So you can make changes um, which have got fairly significant. When I say short term, I mean an hour or two time changes um, in consumption, and then longer term if you want to change set points. So getting a building to be a full member of, of the smart grid and the electric grid is going to be important and, and vital to that process, uh, and there's various initiatives going on around um, the world in terms of getting buildings to and other things to interact in the smart grid, and to respond to either, hey, we, we, we've got an emergency situation, please, can you can you shed some load, and that occurs relatively rarely, to um, the idea of the energy is looking expensive at the moment because we have some form of dy- dynamic pricing measures day ahead or or, or even instantaneously um, and so can we respond to that as a price signal or can we be sort of intelligent members where we're balancing supply demand and uh, locally and uh, and grid so th- this is a quite a, a fascinating area from from a, a guy like my perspective who comes from the, uh, the controls background um, it's very interesting because it makes the controls, Challenge or problem that we're facing are considerably more complex, uh, it's still solvable, but it, it adds to the fun games of, of making um, good interactive control systems and getting the idea that a building can be interactive. And I think we're going to see buildings being constructed with, and we already are seeing them being constructed with more thermal storage. Um, one, of, one of the counters to this is okay, the electricity typically has to be consumed pretty much as it's generated; it you has know, a very short life but, um, uh, and people talk about doing um, uh, energy storage in terms of either grid scale or local scale right. in terms of batteries or whatever. But we also must remember in buildings, all the stuff ends up as being thermal, pretty much, um, other than the lighting and pumps. So if we place thermal storage of cold water tanks or ice stuff, if you like, or hot water tanks, you know, there's quite a lot that we can, uh, we can do to flex the consumption of the building. Over the relatively short, let's say short an you know, hour or two periods that we need to in order to do the grid balancing, I think it, it, it's really quite a fascinating area, and if you <clears throat> look at how the effect, I mean California is showing us because they've got the highest percentage of renewables so far, and they really experienced the, the fact during the, the, the main part of the day when the sun's shining, is no longer their peak load. Um, so they, they're going to have to, or they are having to, get much more interactive, and buildings being in in singularly not huge but collectively a massive part of the electricity consumption um then we really do need them to be part of the smart grid and, and play part in our
0: energy future right yeah absolutely i've got a couple of questions here <clears throat> going back to uh, some of the points about analytics so sorry to jump back but mm, um, it's, okay. it's, a, I mean, it's a it's a, <clears throat> it's a complex subject
1: and um um my opinions are my opinions but um there's there's a number of
0: different ways to kill the cat as they say yeah absolutely uh first one here um when you're speaking about one minute data on site or at the edge how and when would uh the integration to the cloud to generate an event an action i think how would you do that process
1: um well the way that I've designed the systems is that I bring the data in at the one-minute intervals into a a box on the site, um, which is, in in my case, is is an embedded, dedicated little computer, a microcomputer. Um, And that will run the the rules, the analytics, locally. So what we um, bring back from the site is the results of those rules if they come back positive. Um, so, if they detect a, a situation where they think that the site, a con- particular control loop is unstable, in the example we used, or the valves are stuck, then it can work out how long that's gone on for um, and um, how frequently it seems to be happening and send just that summary information back up to the cloud so that we can organize um, the, the correct response. And there's a there's another little bit inside that which I, I'd love to emphasize, and this comes from you know the, as I say I've got the scars to prove it and and um, some hard experience. You know I I had a situation where we were making these detections reasonably accurately, uh, and we could see them at the the, the the knock or the control room whatever you wish to call it, um, and we got some nice reasonably pretty graphics to show that. But we made the mistake of not letting the People who went to site see the same level of data and information, and so when they they what they got was kind of you know a work order, which I mean necessarily text based and cryptic. Um, and um, uh, I remember one particular one which was just just illustrating the lack of understanding was the um, so the message was you know, the plant was running um, for an hour um, at ten o'clock at night when the building should have been shut down at six o'clock. And the answer came back, well, I looked at it at 10 o'clock this morning and it was doing fine, you know, so kind of missing the point. <laughs> what we found is, is that if we're doing the data gathering locally and there's intelligence locally, we can also display the data locally, both the rules and the, and, and also the source data. Um, and if we can show that to the to the technician, whether he's using a, uh, you know, a laptop or a tablet or something, the, the data's a bit too much to look at on a phone, but um, you, know, you get the plot. Then again, they go, oh, okay, I can see the same data as you can. I can understand it, and you know, if necessary, we can have a chat over the phone with the subject matter expert to try and work out exactly what the what the problem is um, and and how to fix it. So, getting the the guys who who have to go and implement the the fixes on this, giving them good quality visual information. Has also proven to be a very important thing to do, and that also plays with the distributed intelligence. If you're gathering the data um, locally in the building, then when the person goes to that building, then they can collect that data visually pretty easily, mm-hmm. and that I found made a, a you know a massive difference in the um, sort of acceptability of this sort of stuff. Otherwise, we we ended up with a um, I, I, I don't know I, I divergence, let's put it politely that way, not necessarily bloody great row, but um, between the, the guys at the at the centre and the guys actually in the field um, doing those things. So good, you know, di- not just detecting it, but giving the the guys fixing it really good, clear information, um, so they can see what's going on. I I also found because so that plays into the you know distribute the data and uh, let the visualisation also occur locally. Yep.
0: Yeah. There is also a question here, and it's an interesting one. Um, is there a way to put a dollar amount around analytics? Uh, what kind of ROI that, that, can that, we drive that, is a,
1: that is a great, great question. Yeah, um, at two levels. One is um, the when you when you fit these systems in yeah you're going to find a load of stuff which um, has been hidden yeah and you know, there also has to be a whole culturing thing about accepting that people accept that they are going to find problems and they don't go defensive about it and they don't have to because they didn't have the tools to go and do that sort of determination previously but which ones do you go for first and we put quite a lot of effort in um, in historically trying to work out which ones do you go and fix first and the answer is, well, you know, those which are more critical, obviously, um, and then after that, the, those which are costing you the most money. So um, being able to you know, equate the, the problem with some cost function, even if it's a bit a bit hit and miss, you don't have to go into very sophisticated models if you don't want to. It's pretty important. And we found putting a, a cost per hour of having this thing going wrong and maybe you know quantify it by... The guy's saying, "Okay, you found a valve leaking, but is it leaking like it's stuck fully open, or is it leaking like it's two percent you know, or five percent or something? Um, where am I? Where is my time going to be best used?"
0: So I think that's the um, um, that's the the things to look at in as right. a prioritization. And that that ties into one of that, your your other points about reducing labor costs, right? Being able to um, streamline yeah, and, his, and, work work and the, orders and the ones which
1: which you know, hey, you know, it's costing me, but it's only costing me. Know, Fifty pounds or euros or dollars a week or something. Yeah, fine. Well, maybe we mop those up and and try and visit that area or or, or wait till we've got a bunch of things on the same uh, site or, or or settle in the same area to go and fix. I mean, you know, be be pragmatic about it. Um, I think that's an important thing. The bit then about well, how much could I save by using analytics overall is um, is very difficult. Um, we can use things like Statistically, we know that buildings are uh, you know, within one standard deviation wasting 50 to, to um, 25%, and some are wasting very little, and some are wasting hugely more than that. I, I've hit buildings, and I'm sure other people on this have done so as well, which is um, that we've um, we've seen them going up uh, above 60% wastage just because the plants are running all day and night when it doesn't need to. But so those are the averages, but you know, as as they say in the adverts, you know, your experience may vary, your consumption may vary. So it depends very much where you're you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to predict ahead of time without doing the work what it is that you're going to find. Um, and so I think people tend to say, well, let's run some 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 smaller scale uh, examples of this, and let's see what sort of stuff's coming back. Um, and you'll also find that the buildings which have less attention, those which are um, unmanned in terms of the engineering sense and getting fewer visits, will tend to be um, working less well. If you've got a team of engineers running around the place, you're probably going to find the site's probably working better. Um, but there's also a bigger sites, and if you have got problems, the amount of energy that you will be wasting will be bigger because the plant's bigger as well. So. So we can only really talk about averages and, and uh, some experiences, but anybody who says I've got a perfect building, um, okay,
0: I'll, I'll definitely buy them several drinks if that turns out to be the case. You you also go on and sort of near the end of the white paper talk about optimization. Um, are we talking here about sort of doing that um, without human intervention, right? So it's actually you know a certain amount of intelligence in the system that can automatically optimize things. Perhaps, based on some yeah. of those rules that we've that we've already discussed,
1: well there's yes, okay, so what are we talking about optimization? I mean, I've used the word sort of correctly in the sense it's trying to optimize the way that the cloud works, but it's a little bit of a grandiose thing for something we probably do understand. We all know that um, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, we we work in a contractual framework that says, if it's spec to do this, I'll make it do it. If it's not, I'm not and it, then it's more complex, then I'm not going to bother. So, if it's spec to vary the flow temperature of the hot water against uh, outside air, it will do so. But if it's not required to do a, a self tuning model, then you probably won't get it. Um, you know, chilled water the same. And I, I found considerable success and benefits. I was working in the Middle East on this with chillers, obviously, Middle East hot, lots of chilling. Um, By dynamically measuring the conditions in the building and the plant and uh, deciding on the best um, chiller flow temperature dynamically, I did it by measuring the actual chiller return temperatures and varying the supply temperature to make sure that we weren't over chilling. And chillers are fun things because their thermodynamic efficiency um gets better if you are able to work them at a higher temperature uh, the colder they get the less efficient they are and it's quite marked so t- typically by by putting in what we i'd call adaptive or floating chilled water temperature you know we were getting on average um some twelve percent energy savings just by that technique alone and that was uh, that was that was considerable now they're, they're control techniques. How you decide to do the control, um, you can use a conventional um, control. In that particular case, I did some stuff which I, I learned when I was doing process control. Um, you can make a model reference system or, or stochastic system, uh, statistical system. Any control technique you like. But Normally, it's continuous control. Um, some of these work quite well on something called fuzzy logic or fuzzy control. Mm-hmm. But they're just techniques that the control engineer has got in his, in his, in his armory. Um, to go and affect that level of optimization, and typically it's about making sure that you know the, the amount of fluid that's flowing around the place, with it's water or 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 gas or, or, or air, um, and the temperatures of those fluids or conditions of those fluids are dynamic; they change uh, against the conditions in the building, and that would get you to what well, what we're trying to do with optimization. I mean, there are companies around who just do that; that's their specialization. They've got what they think is some. Know, secret source uh, to do with how they manage their chiller plant or whatever, and I'm not decrying it. Um, you know that the, the many these companies have a good skill level in, in particular bits of type of equipment, which works. And other people you know, employ what I call sensible control technology from the, from um, first principles, and get pretty much the same results. Um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with making it better. And the fact that I've got some intelli- more intelligence and intelligence has got cheaper, and it's easier to use and I can connect to the building and see the effects of what I'm doing and I can manage it. Um, it there's a serious opportunity there. and I, I'm really trying to list in here what I think are the all the things that we can sensibly do to make our buildings more efe- effective and efficient and better serviced. Um, with the sort of technology we've got and particularly if you're going to have distributed um, technology with with um, computer systems that are bunging into the building for gathering the data and doing the analysis then you can very easily make them do this sort of optimal control as well mm-hmm. because they have that sort of speed and performance. So it's a thing to do you know, and the, the very best of very modern buildings probably have a lot of these things working already um, but the vast, vast majority um, don't have as much of that as they should. And you know, we can be wasting, you know, uh, as I say, 10, 15% of our energy because of the lack of optimization.
0: Yeah. I put up this slide um, here, which is taken from our uh, report that we did earlier this year on the transformation of building automation to BIOT. Um, and we, we did split that down looking at hardware and also you know, some more of the software. Um, so so that was sort of our assessment of market opportunity globally here for for this kind of systems that we're talking about. Um, you know, uh, and pretty significant growth is, is what we're predicting.
1: Um, I think the fact you've identified the enablement hardware as well as the cloud services, as well as the connectivity, you know, you're um, making the um, presumption or you've made the determination um, that you do live uh, in some form of distributed um, architecture. Right. Um, my point is to make sure that the things that you go and put, as, as you know, hard, hardware enablement, actually do a job for you rather than just connecting and gathering data,
0: that they actually do the things that they should do and do them at the appropriate place in the architecture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to show this slide as well because I know obviously what we've talked about pretty much exclusively today was about energy. And and that is, a, you know, a huge, uh, part of gonna of, of kind of be the, you know, the advantage of using the, uh, the BIOT, um, you know, saving energy, et cetera. Uh, but there are obviously, of course, a lot of other different types of systems that go into buildings, uh, you know, based around, for example, security um, and, and, and other things. What um, we, ha- we haven't talked so much about integration it is, and having you know worked at Tr- uh, um, Trillium, for example, how do you see the integration um, kind of dilemma or problem being played out now? Is are we going to? And we talked about it for a while about um, bringing systems together. Is is this going to speed up this process?
1: I, I think it does because I think to make um, a building IoT platform work, you've got to talk to um, all of the relevant systems in the building, all the systems which are part of the fabric of the building. So that's the HVAC systems and the lighting systems and maybe the electrical distribution systems and the like. And you need to, and obviously, energy metering too. So you bring those back um, and you, you have a, a fundamental need to integrate. But that's not quite the same as saying, well, I, I, I want to have a different manufacturer's chiller controller than than is on the fan coil or, or whatever, but it could be that as well. And I think that our industry has come a long way. I think um, Tridium and Niagara has had a, a good part to play about producing um, an integration framework uh, which also lets you do you know, the visualization and control locally. Mm-hmm. And that's that proven to be the, 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 the most, well, not just the best way, the, the only really practical way that we've seen multi-system integration going on and in, and creating this into a single data model. Um, so I think that's there, but the, the benefits of integration um, really come out when you start trying to add value by understanding the intersection of um, energy, lighting, and HVAC. And um, I've, taught, I've used mostly um, HVAC as my examples because that's the high-density stuff. But yeah. let's not also forget that lighting is going through a, a massive metamorphosis at the moment where um, LED and solid-state lighting. Um, but also people using the, that to change the way that the lighting is controlled and make the control of the lighting far more intelligent and interactive. And then your lighting can also be subject to the same levels of diagnostics and participation in smart grid and demand response and the like, Mm -hmm. obviously consistent with with safety and and, uh, being able to see your way around the place. But um, but those sorts of things can be there, so they become fully full players in there because they they can become interactive. And um, um, some observers, uh, and I I think your organisation particularly, James, has been one that's been pushing this point, is that the economic change with um, LED lighting is so great that that can be the catalyst into uh, you know, connecting your building up um, and uh, integrating all the commun- all the systems into one communication and one data model system?
0: Yeah, yep, couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> We've got about three minutes <laughs> or so left. Um, So if you do have any final questions for Terry, please let me have them now and uh, I'll put them to him. But I guess, um, you know, just in conclusion, Terry, what what are the sort of the main takeaways you want you would want people to um, to think about from what we've discussed? I think
1: think that um, our building automation industry has been in. what I call a contracting phase. I don't mean getting smaller. I mean we're contractors. So here's a building. Put your building automation system in, or your retrofit system, and, and uh, largely, you know, thank you and good night at the end of the contract. Um, when we when we talk about building Internet of Things stuff, this is different. This isn't a, a, a fit and forget type process. This is a continuous service business, and it's about delivering services to those buildings and that requires you know, a different type of business and a different type of um, organization and different set of skills from those who are what we we typically call in this country system integrators or controls contractors in North America or whatever um, and we've got to recognize that this is all about service delivery it's not about hey I fitted this thing and off it goes and it'll look after itself you know, we have to take action as a result of information we get, the rules, the triggers, the things which tell us that things have gone wrong. And if we fit those and they tell us good information and we don't do anything about it, then we're being pretty silly and we're being accountable. But we've got to have an organisation that responds to this sort of information. And so I think that this is um, you know, creating significant change in the people servicing and managing buildings and creating Really great opportunity in that sector, as well as affecting the way that the, uh, the building automation systems will work. I think primarily this is a, this is a, a building services play um,
0: rather than a more um, automation play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, <clears throat> just put uh, this link up here, so if there if you want more information on some of those graphs that I showed, uh, this is the report that they're taken from. Uh, and also um, just wanted to say the next webinar we're doing and we just five minutes ago mentioned about lighting controls is with the uh, CTO of this Californian company called Enlighted, who are one of, I'd say, you know, one of the, the leading companies in this space of, of using um, uh, the control of light to also monitor other aspects of the building as well, They're doing some very interesting things in that area. Uh, So that's going to be on Monday, the 16th of November. Terry, if um, people want more information on what you've said or the, you know, uh, Intellistar or indeed yourself, where where can they go to to get that?
1: Um, Well, if you go to um, Intellistar.com or or me, I'm TKC at Intellistar.com. Um, or go through my LinkedIn connect with, I think I'm Terence Casey on LinkedIn, and um, for reasons I can't remember. Um, then um, I'd, I'd be very, you know, very happy to um, to take any of these discussions for, uh, further forward and uh, share what are my uh, my personal experiences and, and takeaways in this. In, what I, in this. You know, Interesting sector. The, the 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 amount of innovation change going on in our sector at the moment around this space is the largest I've seen for a few decades, and um, I think it's a it's a fun and exciting place. And I think that the more we can pool and share our knowledge and experience of these things, then the easier and quicker we're going to get to somewhere useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good to put that in context. You know, for someone like you who's been, you know. Um, involved in the business for a while to say that I think, um, validate some of the things that we've talked about, you know, that the pace of change seems to be picking up. So, so oh, yes, you, let's, really. um, let's share more information and, and try and, um, you know, um, pr- put some good systems and, and products to market. I think that's for, for, for buildings. It's important. So yeah, just mm-hmm. remains for me to say thank you very much. Um, and, uh, and yeah, anyone, um, who wants the audio, I'll be posting that uh, later, probably later today or maybe tomorrow. Uh, and yeah, thanks again, Terry.
1: James, thank you and thank you everybody for um, inviting me to, to this and uh, I hope that it's uh, meant something to uh, to people and they can take away what they, what they need to from this. I, I've enjoyed doing that.
0: Thank you. Great. Bye-bye. Thanks again.